Well, welcome back to the Pressing On podcast. I'm your host, Richie Reeder, and today we have a special guest, Rick Lofgren from the Children's Organ Transplant Association with me. Rick is a good friend and looking forward to learning from him and his journey as a leader serving transplant families at CODA. And just a reminder for our listeners that our mission at Pressing On is to uplift, resource, and coach families in crisis, specifically hospitalized families that are going through long-term critical illnesses and also those on the transplant journey. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But you can learn more about our program's impact and story at pressingon.org. Our special guest today is Rick Lofgren. Rick is the president and CEO of the Children's Organ Transplant Association. Founded in 1986, CODA has helped raise more than $160 million for transplant-related expenses and seen over 3,000 CODA patients transplanted successfully. Such an awesome number. Having led CODA since 1998, Rick's specific duties include oversight of major planned giving programs, leading staff management, and the board of directors growth and development. Under Rick's tenure, CODA's annual revenues have increased from less than $1.5 million to over $10 million. An impressive stat right there. Personally, Rick has a bachelor's degree from Spring Arbor University and an MBA from the University of Illinois at Springfield and a Master of Science in Administration from Central Michigan University. Rick and his wife, Lisa, have two married children and three grandkids. They are avid cyclists and gardeners as well. So, Rick, welcome to the Pressing On podcast. Thanks, Richie. It's great to be here with you. We really appreciate you coming on today because I think that you have a lot to offer, not only in leadership, but also in perseverance, because you've seen so many transplant families persevere throughout the years. And we look forward to drawing on your wisdom in leading this organization for such a long time. And so let's begin with just getting to know you personally. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, your educational experiences, and, and maybe how you met your spouse, Lisa. All right. Well, I, I have a, a very boring origin story. Um, I was born after my mom and dad graduated from college in Rochester, New York, and my dad okay. was a Methodist pastor. So we bumped around. Um, my dad was the pastor that when something went wrong at a church, they would pull the pastor out, put my dad in for a year or two to fix things, and then move them on to the next problem okay. church. So I lived in a, a number of different parsonages growing up. And by the time I went to college, I had lived in 14 different places. So we moved around wow. quite a bit. And uh, I always joked that I learned to, to be outgoing because I had to stand at the back of the sanctuary after church and shake everyone's <laughs> hand and walk by my dad. So that, that's, that's where I grew up. Um, I met my wife at Spring Arbor our freshman year. Um, I joked that she was dating one of the other guys on the floor, and uh, I swooped in and, and picked her up after they broke things off. But we nice. were married just a couple of years later, and uh, we put each other through college, put our, ourselves through graduate school as well. Our kids were mm -hmm. born when we were in Spring Arbor, and uh, that, even though we haven't lived there for close to 25 years, we still consider that kind of our second home. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, sometimes pastors' kids get a bad rap, but clearly you're a great example that they can turn out okay as well. <laughs> um, tell us a little about about your relationship with Lisa. I mean, we we mentioned in the, the the bio that you guys you know are cyclists and gardeners, but what does life look like for you when you have maybe a little bit of downtime these days? Well, as you can tell by the pictures over my shoulder, we are avid cyclists. Um, Lisa and I have a tandem. We also have solo bikes. 
And my formula, Rich, is always N plus one with N being the number of bikes that you currently own and one being the next one that you need to own. So that, that, has, been our, that has been our operating theory. We live out in the country, and so we have opportunity to ride. And I know you and Reagan spend a lot of time in Michigan. We've ridden mm -hmm. in Michigan many, many places and uh, crossed the, the Mackinac Bridge in a van, but went over to Mackinac Island, rode on the island. Just some incredible experience doing that. But it's nice to get out with your spouse and have some away time where the phones don't ring, the cell phone right. is just kind of left behind, and you get some one-on-one -on -one time with, with your spouse. Yeah, I'm curious. You mentioned Mackinac Island, and like like you said, we've spent a lot of time in Michigan. Out of any of the places that you've gone cycling over the years, do you have a, a favorite trail or a favorite place that you've ridden that's like, yeah, that's number one in my book? Yeah, there, there are two that I would say are really strong for Michigan, uh, the Calhaven Trail, which goes from okay. Grand Haven to Kalamazoo. That's uh, about 35 miles. It's wonderful. And then the Leelanau Trail in um, Traverse City is just fantastic. It goes right along Traverse Bay and it is just a, a beautiful spot. A little hillier there than uh, in Kalamazoo, but it just is a, a fun way to go and a relaxing day. We try to do a week or two at a time and get out every day and ride and then kayak one more vacation too. Um, I want to remind our listeners um, that this podcast is sponsored by the Children's Organ Transplant Association. I have a big, long commercial that I typically read from, um, but their president and CEO is right here with us today. So I'll fill that in as time goes on. But we are really, really grateful to have Rick Lofgren, not only as a personal friend, um, but sponsoring the podcast with CODA. And CODA helps children and young adults who need a life-saving transplant by providing fundraising assistance and family support. They're definitely the trusted leader in supporting transplant families financially for a lifetime. And I know that a lot of the families that we serve at Pressing On have been impacted by CODA. And a lot of the families that we meet on a regular basis, we tell about the great things that CODA can do for them in their fundraising experience for their child's transplant. Let's talk about your initial involvement with CODA. You know, what initially drew you towards the opportunity to lead this um, organization over two decades ago? Well, I was connected to CODA by a gentleman who had been the previous president of the hospital where we're based in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, when the president of CODA resigned, uh, Bud Core stepped in and did a search and located me thanks to my dad. My dad was a fundraiser for a hospital in Indianapolis and he was not interested in the job because he was about to retire, but he forwarded my name and credentials onto Mr. Core. And a couple of months later, went through the interview process and started. But what really drew me to CODA was I had a cousin that had a bone marrow transplant at UCLA back in the mid seventies when it was just a hmm. cutting edge at that point. And the type of leukemia that Billy had had a 3% survival rate. Today, that survival rate is 97%. So it's completely turned around. Wow. Wow. Also had several friends that have had transplants. The hospital that I was working at, Richie, at the time in Michigan, uh, one of our board members' sons had uh, multiple leukemia diagnoses. And we did a bone marrow registration mm -hmm. drive. Uh, he had a transplant and is doing very well. But it, it kind of opened my eyes to that that part of the transplant world. And so when I got the call for this job, I thought this is something I feel good about. It will impact my family's life. It is part of our heritage. And it was fun to just be part of something that I knew was bigger than me. And it just has grown. I, I don't think I could have ever imagined when I started in 1998 that I would be here 25 plus years later. 
Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. Like I was saying before we hit record on the podcast that your your leadership role in this organization, not too many people can say that they've been the president and CEO and led an organization for this long. And so I'm curious because, I mean, I'll, I'll share a little bit, you know, in, you know, a few minutes about our family's experience with CODA because it's been very influential within the Reader family and my daughter Micah's life with her liver transplant. Um, but I think that nobody signs up to be part of the transplant community. It's kind of a, a tribe that you fall into. But then once you find yourself there, you find all of these amazing families that are persevering together, all of these amazing partners and nonprofits and organizations that are right there by your side. Maybe pull the curtain back on the Children's Organ Transplant Association, you know, for us a little bit. Let us know, you know, as listeners, what the CODA team is like how they function, how they serve together, how they interact with transplant families. I, I look at it, Richie, is that we're, we're part of, of each of our families inner, inner circle. We, we get involved with our families to the point where we talk to our parents. Um, we have regular conversations. There are text exchanges that go on much like you and Reagan do with pressing on. It's, mm -hmm. it's not an eight to five job. There are a right. lot of activities that happen in the evening on weekends and we want the families that we're working with to know that we're pulling on the oars just as hard as they are. And so our hope is that every one of our staff members is able to provide that level of service that you don't feel like you're contacting an organization, you're contacting a friend. And so mm -hmm. our hope is that every one of our patients, their family members feel that. Um, give you a good example. We have a, a family that's based in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, their son had a liver transplant at UCLA um, when this little boy was two years old. Ben is now 33. Uh, he's mm -hmm. now a dad himself, uh, has a little daughter that's about a year old. But we got to know their family 25 years ago at an event uh, where we were asked to, to bring some families to Washington, D.C. to talk about transplantation and to uh, try to influence some things that were going on at that time uh, at the national level so that transplant families had greater resources and, and maybe a little more say in the care for their kids. That was very successful, but I got to know Ben's family and his mom and dad and I get together every time I get out to Phoenix. Uh, there's a mm. golf outing that was started because of Ben. And now uh, in April of this year, we'll have the 32nd annual event where that the funding from that golf outing will help our Arizona families. Mm. So we really look at this as it is, as you said earlier, it's a lifetime of support and transplant mm -hmm. is not a sprint. Um, it is a journey. And once you get to the destination that you think as a, a parent that you wanted to get to, you realize that's just the first step of, of many different phases of your child's life. So mm -hmm. Our hope is that we walk hand in hand with your families and, and make sure that any stage of that process, they can reach out to us for help. And as your kids get older and become mm -hmm. adults themselves, that we're still going to be there to, to help them then. Yeah, it's always awesome to feel like people that were part of your initial support system during the transplant journey have become trusted guides and friends over time. And I know my wife, Reagan, and I don't take that for granted with all the great folks like yourself that we've met at CODA and other like-minded organizations. I I'm curious, you mentioned your relationship with Ben and his family, and obviously CODA served over 3,000 families that have had successful transplant when you think about that word perseverance, like what are some of the key characteristics that you've seen in the families that CODA serves? Keeping in mind our listening audience that many times is families that are affected by long-term hospitalizations and are on the transplant journey themselves. What are maybe some of the key facets of perseverance that you see in the families you serve? 
Well, I, I look at what we do in a relationship with our families is kind of like a marriage. And in any marriage, you're making deposits, you're making withdrawals, and just like a bank account, there are things that you have to do to keep the marriage healthy, things that we have to do to keep the relationship healthy. And so one of the things that I've learned over the years is that our, our families need to be willing to maybe give up a little control that they're they're not quite sure they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you that one of the things I tell families when I call them and, and I talk to literally every one of our, our, our parents as we start this process, I tell them, you don't know what you don't know yet. And we have mm-hmm. been doing this for a long time. Um, you mentioned earlier, Richard, we've helped 3,000 families be successful transplanted. We've actually helped more than 4,000 in total. And a lot of those families are, wow. are still waiting for that life-saving transplant. So I know from 25 years of doing this, what families don't yet know it's ahead of them. And mm-hmm. one of those things is you've got to focus on your family. You have to focus on your marriage. You have to focus on your other kids so that you get everybody through this successfully. Yeah. So it's hard to let go and to, to give up that control, but there are going to be people that will ask to help and in a positive way, take advantage of mm-hmm. their, their su- suggestion that they can do something, whether that's getting you to a, uh, an event, taking care of your dog, bringing you a meal, um, lots of things that people can help. And maybe it's something very little today, but you get multiple people that are doing something small and all of a sudden it adds up to a huge mm-hmm. benefit for your family. That, that suggestion of the willingness to, you know, give up some sort of control is a good one because I remember feeling that deeply as a father. I, I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with our daughter, Micah Joy's story and her life-saving liver transplant that she received in 2017. And when she was born in 2015, just nine years and a few days ago, actually, at the end of January, um, it was at this point in time, exactly nine years ago, that we were in the hospital trying to figure out exactly what was going on. And, you know, that led to us, you know, having lots of serious sit-down talks with the social workers of different resources that were available for a child with her rare genetic condition that would need a liver transplant in the next couple of years. And that was when one of the social workers first shared with us about the Children's Organ Transplant Association. And I would just encourage anybody who's listening to this, you may think that, hey, we've got great jobs, good insurance, a good support system, maybe a church or community of faith surrounding us, family, friends, neighbors that are willing to help us on this journey. But like you just said, Rick, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't understand how the trips to the hospital and the food and the gas and the supplies and the medicines and everything starts to add up on the transplant journey. And I still remember the the afternoon that my wife and I were at the hospital and we were meeting with various different departments in preparation for transplant that we were like, you know, I feel like we're doing okay right now but we didn't know what we didn't know, like you said. And I still remember that conversation where we were like, we should just call the Children's Organ Transplant Association and see what they might be able to do for us. And it was one of the best calls that we made in a preparation for Micah's transplant. So thank you guys for what you do, because now looking at her transplant seven years out and her life nine years out, I truly know that it wouldn't be the same without great organizations and partners around us. So thank you. Well, and Richie, I, I think that's a really critical point because you, you just mentioned seven years post-transplant mm-hmm. and that's not something that most of our parents are thinking about. They're literally mm-hmm. thinking about how do I get my child to transplant and then how do we get them home again? And they're not thinking about five years from now or seven years from now, or in Ben's case, 31 years later, mm-hmm. what are all those things that we're going to have 
to cobble together all those days that you have to miss for clinic visits, for lab draws. It's not just the expense, but it's the time that's invested right. there. And having someone to come alongside you, whether it's CODA or your church or whomever, it really is something that, that makes a tremendous impact when you think about it's years and not just days or weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we live in an instantaneous society that, you know, wants everything now. And I think that many times, and I'm tempted to view life this way on a daily basis, that, that we want everything in the microwave, not the crock pot. And when you think of the transplant journey, like we describe to families all the time that it, it is a journey and it's a roller coaster. There's lots of ups and downs. And I don't know who said it, but the only way that you get hurt on a roller coaster is if you jump off, you know, like, and that's where the don't quit persevere mentality comes from of just yeah. like, you got to ride these waves. Um, but you need people, individuals and organizations that can come alongside of you to help you do that. And what a better guide than an organization that's been doing it for, for several decades. Um, I'll pause right here and just remind our listeners that the purpose of the Pressing On podcast is to amplify voices of perseverance and highlight the journey of hospitalized families so that everyone who listens will be encouraged to press on through tough times holistically. Again, a reminder that our podcast is sponsored by the Children's Organ Transplant Association, and we have the privilege of having their president and CEO, Rip. Lofgren with us today. CODA is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so funds raised to help meet transplant expenses are not considered income for families. CODA's services and guidance are provided at no charge to transplant families, and 100% of each contribution made to CODA in honor of patients helps meet transplant-related expenses, and gifts to CODA are fully tax-deductible. So for more information on how CODA might financially assist your family on the transplant journey, head to CODA.org. That's C-O-T-A dot org. Again, we're visiting with my friend and the president and CEO of the Children's Organ Transplant Association, Rick Lofgren. Rick, a large portion of your responsibility is fundraising and developing relationships yes. um, in order to meet the financial needs for not only CODA's administrative um, processes, but also for transplant families nationwide. Regarding your fundraising efforts to help support CODA's mission, what are some of the biggest obstacles to fundraising and challenges that you've experienced for raising capital? You know, I think everyone's been involved in fundraising at, at some point in their lives, whether it's a parent who's part of the, the PTO or PTA at their kid's school, whether it's part of their, their church community, their faith community, where they do fundraising for activities, for missions trips, for youth groups, those kind of things. And many of us with our, our kids in school, we've probably gone door to door to sell things for Little League or softball <laughs> or soccer. So we all have that experience that we know what we do. Um, when I was in high school, I remember selling wrapping paper and lotion soap. Um, <laughs> but those are the kind of things that everyone just understands. It's Girl Scout cookie season right now. So everybody's, yeah, everybody's got <laughs> tagalongs and thin mints on the brain. That, that's it. I remember when that used to be $2 a box and I know it's I know, not that anymore. six now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inflation. Well, I, I think everyone has a good idea of what fundraising means to them, but from a big picture standpoint for what we do, it's not just those one-off things that are, you know, the $6 box sales, uh, the wrapping paper at $25. It's a whole lot more than that. So it might be a golf outing. It could be a gala. Um, we have fundraising activities and we have step-by-step -step instructions that allow families to do that. And when I say families, I don't necessarily mean like 
when, whenever we do fundraising, we try to get mom and dad to step back and focus on their child like you did with, with Micah. But we want to work with a volunteer team that can come alongside your family, kind of give you a gentle nudge to move out of the way and, and to focus on the healthcare needs of your child, but work with CODA in the volunteer team. And I, I know your sister was one of the, the key volunteers in doing that, Richie. Mm-hmm. We really want to leverage the, the connections that those folks have that are in your community that have said, I want to help. Please let us know mm-hmm. what we can do. Mm-hmm. And we can give them the step-by-step instructions to make them successful, whether it's one of those events we talked about or a Facebook fundraiser or just doing some online fundraising using the donation pages that we provide. Mm-hmm. It really takes someone that is organized and able to do that, that really loves your family. And, and in particular, they're ready to move forward because they know what who those people are in their community that can make an impact. Mm-hmm. And that's where working with a nonprofit helps because, for instance, uh, if you work for a matching gift employer, gifts that you make to a CODA campaign can be matched because we're a 501c3. Or if you do something at a local Chick-fil-A, the Chick-fil-A owner knows that CODA is a reputable organization. They can work with us and they know that the money's going to be used where it's supposed to be. Hmm. Organizations like the American Legion family, there are more than 13,000 posts across the country. CODA is one of their preferred charities. And so if you're working with us, we can help those families with making connections. And I can't tell you the number of uh, pancake breakfasts, Friday night fish fries, bingo games, all those activities that go on in Legion Post week in mm-hmm. and week out. We can show families how to how to connect with people in their communities to make that beneficial for, for their transplant kids. So those mm-hmm. are the kind of things that you have to come up with those ideas as an individual working with an organization like CODA. We already have that in place and we have those relationships so that we can help make that mm-hmm. easier. Well, and speaking from the perspective of, you know, like a transplant dad that's preparing for their child to, you know, have surgery and receive the transplant in the coming months and years. I remember thinking at the time when we just thought of fundraising and everything that you just described, I remember thinking, I definitely don't have time for one more thing right now. And it's so refreshing. I remember when five or six people were getting together at the local Panera Bread with the the CODA rep that came out from Bloomington, you know, to sit down and talk about Micah Joy's perspective, you know, liver transplant and how they were going to kind of band together as a group. Um, And I didn't have to attend that meeting, even as her dad. Um, And so, like, it was such a refreshing um, process for me because I was like, wow, like CODA is organizing this with some of our family members, some of our lead volunteers, some people that care about our family so that mom and dad can stay present to the situation at hand and still continue to advocate for our daughter. So I I feel that deeply because we've experienced what CODA brings to the transplant process. I definitely knew that I didn't have one more ounce of energy to give to something else, even if it was as valuable as fundraising. So what a great process because I, I, I want to speak that out there for maybe the mom or dad who's considering, well, I just don't have time for one more thing right now, that the CODA process is very doable for fundraising by tapping into your circle of influence and your network and loved ones and family members that care about your child. Oh, th- thank you for saying that, Richie, because I- I'll be honest, that is a conversation I have with every one of our families. And I have told a lot of dads that you need to step back and let us help. And there have been occasions where the mama bear and our moms comes out and (laughs) I completely understand. I would do the exact same thing. But if you take a step back and say, if that were my next door neighbor, Mm -hmm. how hard would it be for me to immediately say, what can I do to help? 
And that's mm-hmm. what your friends and family want to do to help you. And you're actually helping them by giving them that opportunity to, to come alongside you and, and make, make that impact. And like you said, Richie, there are just so many things that you just, you can't anticipate as a transplant mm-hmm. parent until you're doing that. And at that point, it's awfully hard to say, well, I've got to go to work today and I've got a clinic visit tomorrow and I've got to do all these things for the other kids' activities. Mm-hmm. Something has to give. And if yeah. you can have volunteers that help come and, and work with CODA or one of the other organizations that do this, it just makes a, a lot easier for your family to get through this process. It's not going to be easy, mm-hmm. but it will be easier than it will you tried to go alone. Right, right. You mentioned several different ideas of it. You know, fundraising could look like a golf outing or a pancake breakfast or a gala. Um, but what are some new and creative ways that you've seen transplant families successfully raise capital through CODA here over the last couple of years? Well, it's funny. Prior to the pandemic, we had all kinds of online and virtual activities that no one cared about and want anything to do with just because you didn't need it. Then the pandemic happened and all of a sudden all those activities were very easily implemented and and utilized. And what we've discovered since the pandemic has ended is that we've been able to blend successfully a live event and a virtual event. So the hybrid model works even better. So Mm -hmm. as an example, as a runner, Richie, you've probably participated in multiple 10Ks or half marathon events. A lot of those are set up as fundraisers. And oftentimes if if you have something like at your, your kid's school, it's at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning or nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. You might have a conflict at that time. And if you can't participate, that you just walk away. Right. Putting together a virtual component of that, you could have someone run that virtual 10K at any time and still participate in the fundraiser. Hmm. And so we've been able to kind of stretch the, the resources of all of our activities so that while there still is that live event where you try to get a critical mass of people together, There are also those people that can't make it there and they can do it on their own. And it could be that it's not just they couldn't make it there at that day, that maybe they live a state or two or 10 away from you and they can participate remotely from San Diego rather than from in in Pittsburgh. So there are a lot of ways that we've been able to, to, to really tie successful fundraising activities and put a virtual component to that to them so that they are much more successful and that just enlarges the the pool of people that are helping, which ends up having a, a greater outcome in terms of the fundraising. And it's not just to raise more money, it's to get more people involved, more people engaged, whether they're volunteers, donors, or just participants in the activities. We want to get as many people involved because the more people that know about what's going on, the more they're going to talk about it, and the more people that they're going to influence to help as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's important for families to understand as we're talking about fundraising here that, like you said earlier, it's not just a $25, $50, $100 price tag here that a lot of these campaigns are looking to raise $50,000, $70,000 for the transplant-related expenses. And I can share this because it's my personal experience, but in the 2017 year that Micah received her transplant and was hospitalized four or five different times because of different side effects and obstacles and rejection and and the like, I remember our explanation of benefits through insurance was over $2 million just for the year 2017. And without, you know, state funding and good insurance and, you know, having, you know, to be able to draw upon the CODA fund that so many had volunteered for, like, I, I literally as a father don't know what we would have done. Um, but kind of like as the theme that you shared earlier, you, you don't know what you don't know. The financial side of a transplant is one of those things that you don't know until it's there. 
And I know that Micah's experience might have been on the more expensive end of a lot of these things, but um, it was definitely shocking to me to read that and just considered it a huge blessing that that had that financial burden had been taken care of um, because of all that she went through. So I, I just share that from personal experience for our listeners that this isn't, well, maybe we'll raise five or 10 grand and that'll just cover everything for the whole year. These things can get very, very pricey, very, very quick, even with great healthcare and great insurance. So, Well, I, I always tell people, Richie, um, my wife had both knees replaced a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. each, each instance was a set amount of money, but our out-of-pocket cost for, for Lisa's surgery was $3,500. I know that that was my cost for the year in which she had those two surgeries. Transplant families, if you have a $3,500 out-of-pocket cost, that's going to be $3,500 this year and next year and every year to follow. Mm -hmm. My wife's knees are doing great and it cost us $3,500. Micah's transplant, she's doing great and it cost $2 million. Right. That's a significant difference and transplant is just so much deeper in in cost and time commitment than most people can understand when they start it so having someone come alongside you to do that again it, it just is a an incredible benefit because it is not a one-time expense it is a lifetime mm -hmm. i think that i know where you're probably going to go with this next question that i have because you talked a little bit about you know the engagement of loved ones and volunteers that surround you during the fundraising process. But for the families that have successfully met their goals um, for raising funds, you know, for CODA in honor of their child that's pursuing a transplant, what have been some of the common themes of success that those groups of folks and families have had um, as they've raised funds through CODA? Well, I think probably the best way to, to characterize this is you need someone to, to lead the effort that is organized. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need someone that's a, a type A personality that's just hard driving is going to keep pushing, but you do need someone that, that is going to stick to it. And so um, you may recall from, from the far side cartoons, there was one that was specifically about organizing a posse and it's a group of horses and cowboys just in a big pile in front of the sheriff. And the sheriff says, you you have to really work at organize a posse. You can't just throw it together. And that's kind of what fundraising is. It's not just here are a bunch of ideas. Let's throw it out. See who volunteers to help. You need someone to, to ride herd over that group to say, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to talk to these businesses. I need you to get to this church to see if we can use their fellowship hall. Mm -hmm. There are things like that. that the organization really makes a tremendous impact. So as you're looking forward to doing fundraising or doing any kind of activity, if it's just awareness, we have a lot of families that fundraising is part of what they're doing, but they're also trying to find, for instance, a kidney donor. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing a drive to try to find someone that will make an altruistic kidney donation. So having that group of people that will come alongside you and, and focus on what are the goals, allow again, mom and dad to, to go off to the side and, and focus on their child, but have that group keep moving forward. I can't tell you the number of times we've had a campaign training session and I'm thinking of a family from Erie, Pennsylvania, that this happened to hmm. the day that they were at the training session, they got the call for the heart transplant. Oh, wow. And I wish I could say we caused that. I can't, can't go quite that far, but <laughs> it's just ironic that that group was getting together in the, the feeling of energy and enthusiasm that room was just incredible. Mm. But that's the kind of thing that if you have that energy enthusiasm coupled with a, an organized group of people that want to help, you can go a long way to, to make sure that that happens. And, and that volunteer team raised close to $150,000. Wow. 
Wow. And Lindsay had a very successful heart transplant and, and now is a mom of her own. Um, mm. Just 22 or 23 years post-transplant, but doing really well. Wow, that's awesome. No, thanks for sharing that specific story. That kind of gives me goosebumps just thinking about, you know, every transplant family can tell the story about the call, you know, and for many families, when there's false alarms, the multiple calls. Um, but wow, that's a surreal feeling to be with people that are championing you and your child and the transplant process. Wow. Wow. I want to pause for just a second. And while CODA um, comes alongside of families to support them for a lifetime with fundraising and finances. Here at Pressing On, we believe in meeting tangible needs in order to meet intangible needs. And we have various programs that help resource hospitalized families physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Here's just a few of them. Our hospital care package program, our gas card program, transplant backpack program that we've partnered with CODA with to supply to transplant families throughout the nation, our crisis coaching program and Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh program. So if you or a family that you know is affected by a long-term hospitalization or on the journey of pediatric transplant, we'd love to come alongside of you physically, emotionally, and spiritually with Pressing On free resources at this time. So let me encourage you to visit our website at pressingon.org to sign up for our free resources or to make a referral. That's pressingon.org for more information. We're talking today with the CEO and president of the Children's Organ Transplant Association, Shortened to CODA, my good friend, Rick Lofgren. Rick, thanks again for joining us today and sharing a little bit behind the scenes. I want, I want to get behind the curtain of Rick Lofgren, the leader and the man right now, because I think our listeners um, would enjoy this story. There's something that you have done that maybe not a lot of people know about. Um, a lot of people, when they ascend to leadership as the CEO or president of an organization, many times, unfortunately, I think that they feel like they're above the fray and they just simply are going to make leadership you know, decisions, make sure um, that the company's always doing well um, with finances and kind of stay above the day-to-day -day workings of the organization. But I know for a fact that that's not you. Um, I remember early on when we pursued transplant that my wife, Regan, got a phone call directly from you. And I remember at first she was very confused that she was like, this isn't like a staff member at CODA. This is like the CEO and president of Children's Organ Transplant Association that you were just simply calling to check in, touch base and make a personal connection. Um, I'm curious how you develop such a relational style of leadership because making those individual phone calls to every transplant family, over 4,000 families, that's not something you had to do, but why is that important to you? Well, I, I think Richie, the, the fact that transplant has touched my family and knowing what my aunt and uncle went through and my cousins that were, were dealing with this, I, I think it's one of those cases where you, you want to be large enough that you know your organization can make an impact, but you want to be small enough where you can have that hands-on approach. So I, I feel very strongly that um, way back when I started 25 years ago, I was employee number four. So it was a <laughs> lot easier to, when we helped 30, I think 31 families that first year that I was at CODA. This last year, we helped 255 families. And I, I think that's the kind of thing that I want to keep as, as the, the guiding principle of what we do is that it's personal and we're mm -hmm. here with you. Everyone of our families is important. Everyone has, as you said, a different story and a different path ahead of them. But the general theme is we need to do this together. And so mm -hmm. we want to set from the very on, onset of the campaigns, this is where we're going to be. This is how we're going to help you. And you need to 
again, lean on the people around that offer to help. And, and that that's what we do. But I, I think that's important for any leader to make sure that the people that they're working with, whether that's colleagues and staff members or the, in our case, our patient families are our customers. And I don't think of them as customers. I think of them as family. Mm-hmm. But those are the kind of things that we want every one of our team members to, to feel like this is this is who I'm helping. It's mm-hmm. it's not that call at 455 as you're about to go home on a Friday afternoon that keeps you there in the office. It's mm-hmm. that call from a family that's in crisis. And right yeah. now, the most important thing in minds is what's in front of them. And we need to make sure that we help solve that problem. So I hope that our team does that and, and does that for every family that we work with. And I, I want to make sure that that's, that's the way we operate the organization at every level. No, that's admirable. It definitely makes a difference. So you were employee number four, huh? I, when I was hired, um, we had just had a little bit of a downsizing. Um, this is going to be a funny story, Richie, that I won't go into a lot of detail. But the way Coda did most fundraising early on for operations operating the business as opposed to operating local campaigns like like yours, we, we had the largest bingo game in the state of Indiana. Oh, and wow. so we we raised a tremendous amount of money through bingo. Uh, the state of Indiana made it difficult to do that and do it legally. And so when I was hired, I, I closed the bingo operation and went to a more traditional model of fundraising. And so we picked that back up. So at that time, we shrunk a little bit only to reposition ourselves to do a much better job and the, the past 25 years have proven that that was the right decision as, as we've gone from 31 families to 255. And that's new families every year. So not only are we helping those families in that year, but all those years mm-hmm. leading up to that. One. Yeah. So if you were employee number four when you started in 1998, I, I believe, yep. how many employees does Coda have right now? Uh, we have 23 employees and we have people that do everything from um, marketing our services to transplant center teams. We have people that make sure that our family's needs are met. So any of your listeners that uh, call our office, our family services team would make sure that your, your needs are taken care of. Uh, we have people that make sure that the lights are on and they can run those kind of things. And we have staff members that their their main responsibility is to go out to hospitals and, and to market our services to transplant social workers and financial coordinators. You mentioned earlier in the, the podcast, uh, the social worker that you work with at, at Children's, uh, John was a good friend for many years, and I know he's since moved on to another opportunity, but we've surveyed our families and we found that about 80% of Coda moms and dads have said the social worker was that key person at the hospital that influenced them. Yeah, They probably do a podcast like this one for pressing on. Maybe they attended a conference, uh, perhaps when they went through the clinic visit, a nurse told them about CODA, but the key person to make a decision was was their social worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know that that was our story as well, that, you know, you're all ears because it's a brand new journey and you're just trying to soak up as much information and insight and wisdom as you can from some of these folks that have seen other families go through the journey. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we made the call to Coda many, many years ago. Um, I, I have a few final questions that I'd like to ask you as far as like specific advice to transplant parents, you know, different things that maybe you would consider a good book or article or resource, you know, for families. But at the end of the podcast, I always love to do this thing that for, for lack of a better term, I, I just have been calling our rapid fire round. So just uh, to humanize our guests a little bit, 
Um, I'd love to ask you just a few short questions just to get to know you just a little bit deeper, if that's okay. Absolutely. Fire away. So there's, there's, I think I've got four of them here, but first one is your favorite place to vacation or getaway that you and Lisa have enjoyed. Uh, I have two. Uh, my, my first one is in the summertime and that is St. Joseph, Michigan, right along the, the coast of Lake Michigan. Great place to bike and kayak and to, to be out on the lake. And the second one is more cold weather for those of us that live in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, I love Isla Mirada, Florida and the Florida Keys. Uh, mm. It's always 75, 80 degrees there. And anytime we go down it, it is just a, a wonderful getaway. So here's second question. Favorite thing that you like to eat for breakfast? Well, I have a, a dairy allergy, so the joke in our house is um, our oldest grandson, whenever he comes over, he says, step one, no milk. So <laughs> I, I love uh, toast with peanut butter and Nutella. So if anyone has not tried uh, Nutella, it is a definite, a definite go-to for me. Okay. All right. Third question, favorite sports team? Uh, my dad is from Pittsburgh, so I grew up as a Steelers and Pirates fan. So anytime there's a, a game on, even though I live in Indianapolis, I do cheer for the Colts when they're playing, unless they're playing the Steelers. Um, mm -hmm. Been a longtime Steeler fan, and I had the, the wonderful joy about 13 years ago. I sat in the green room at Fox Sports and talked football with Terry Bradshaw, wow. Michael Strahan, Jimmy Johnson. It was just incredible. But I... I asked Terry Bradshaw questions that when I went back and told my dad, he just, his mouth dropped to the floor. It was just incredible. <laughs> so I love that. We still have to take in a game here in Pittsburgh together, but uh, yeah, I had a selfish reason for asking those questions. Cause I, I think I knew the answers where they were coming from, but we, uh, <laughs> as the readers, we love our Pittsburgh sports. That's for sure. Uh, last yep. rapid fire round question, favorite movie of all time. Um, I'm going to choose a miniseries, uh, Band of Brothers. Um, it was written by one of my favorite authors, Stephen Ambrose. I've read all of the books that he's written on World War II. I, I think there are so many things that are very applicable to transplant. It is people working together with a common goal and people that stick together many years afterwards. If you've not seen it, I won't give away the whole storyline, but it's about World War II mm -hmm. and a, a group of men that went literally from basic training to Normandy, fought during the Battle of the Bulge, and then their lives after that. It is one of those stories that I've, I've seen, I mean, literally seen dozens of times, and it moves me every single time. Mm. My son-in-law is currently in the Navy and, and currently deployed, and it reminds me every time of what those guys went through and, and what he's dealing with today. So I think there's transferable commonalities there between the movie and, and Transplant. So if your listeners haven't seen it yet, Band of Brothers is it. Oh, I love that. I have watched that through a few times and completely agree 100% with everything you just shared. Um, let me just take a moment here before we close with a few final questions for our friend Rick Lofgren to take a moment to remind you that you can follow along with all things pressing on on various social media platforms. So to stay up to date with our journey to uplift hospitalized families and those on the transplant journey, follow along on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Just search for Pressing On PGH on most platforms. Again, we're visiting with the CEO and president of the Children's Organ Transplant Association, Rick Lofgren. Rick, thanks for being with us today and sharing so many insights about your life, your leadership, and what 
the Children's Organ Transplant Association does behind the scenes with fundraising for transplant families. Um, a few remaining questions, and one that I think is especially important to our listeners that are on the transplant journey. But what specific advice would you give to transplant parents as they navigate the tough times before, during, and after transplant? You know, I think one of the things that we've talked about earlier is lean on those other people around you that want to help. But the one thing we've not spent a lot of time is lean on those transplant professionals that have been there and, and done that as well. Uh, we mm -hmm. mentioned a moment ago, your social worker at, at Children's of Pittsburgh. John was one of those people that not only did he know where all the resources were that families needed to know about that you just couldn't know until you, mm -hmm. you had to have them, but he could point you in directions that would make a, an impact. And I think that includes organizations like Pressing On. Um, I'm sure that many of your listeners have been part of other charities that they work with, but there are a lot of incredible charities in the transplant world that, that really do deal with specific things. So mm -hmm. everyone I'm sure is familiar with UNOS, the National Kidney Foundation. They're, they're kind of the, the big organizations, but I'm, I'm talking more about those organizations like Pressing On, like CODA, uh, like transplant families that are, are really dealing with the things that impact families on a day-to-day -day basis. And I know mm -hmm. you and Reagan did a presentation for the Transplant Families event a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it's great that we, we help each other. I, I don't think we're in any way competitors. I think we complement each other. And I mm -hmm. think that's the thing that I want your listeners to, to get away, come away from this and get as a, a key component. There's not one thing that each of us does that's in isolation. It all comes together. Mm -hmm. And I think having resources at your fingertips that you can say, I need to know this because I'm inpatient right now. Rich and Reagan have this resource to help me. Mm -hmm. I know that there are things that are further down the road that I, I don't know what's coming yet, but there's another organization that can help. And I know that this is all going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time. And that's where CODA can come alongside and help. Mm -hmm. So I think using the organizations that are out there and you're not having to recreate the wheel, you're using their knowledge and leveraging their experience to help your family. And that's yeah. what we all hope we're doing is making an impact. No, that's a really great point, because I, I think that in the in the marketplace and in the business world, everybody's concerned about market share and, you know, that it's a zero sum game that in order to grow, you got to take something from someone else. And I know kind of dipping our toes in the nonprofit world and specifically serving hospitalized families and transplant families over the last couple of years here through pressing on, I've been blown away by the generosity and humility and collaboration of all of the organizations, you know, that we've run into that are now partners. And so thank you guys for being a partner and championing, you know, what we do with pressing on. Like you said, I, I view it as a collaboration. And, you know, I think that our families that we serve, you know, feel that deeply as well. So that that's definitely a good word. Is there a specific book or article or podcast or resource or any any go-tos that you or anybody on the CODA team find yourself referring to families like, oh, maybe maybe you should check this out. You know, maybe our listeners might be interested if there's any specific advice that you have regarding that. Yeah, I, I can't point to a single book because it, it is a very fractured in that regard. But I can tell you there are great podcasts out there. Um, I spend when I go to my office, Richie, it's a 45 minute drive. So I can listen to a podcast on the way to work and on, on the way home. So mm -hmm. I listen to, to Preston On's podcast. Um, if your families are, are liver only families, uh, Bear Inc. has a great podcast. Um, Transplant Families has a podcast for your CF patients. Um, the Bunnell Foundation has a fantastic podcast just for CF patients. I think there's a lot of information that's out there that is available at no cost to families that 
we just need to take advantage of. And depending on what your need is, whether that's fundraising, emotional support, uh, what are those resources that are available for this specific disease, those exist. And I'm amazed, um, I will give away my age here just a little bit, but since Google has been around, you can find just about everything. And I encourage mm -hmm. your families to go out there, do a Google search, find what you're looking for specifically. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm confident if you're doing a transplant, you're going to hear pressing on as, as, or see pressing on as one of those options that, that comes mm -hmm. to the top. But there are a lot of resources out there that can make this a lot easier for families because someone else has already gone that path and, and lived that journey before you mm -hmm. and listen to what they have to say and some of the, the advice that they have to give. Yeah. Well, well, here as we close, I just want to say thank you. Um, not just from a professional standpoint and how our organizations partner with one another, but thank you also as a personal friend and mentor of mine for the ways that you've, you know, instilled in me and impressing on, you know, uh, just a diligence and responsibility and humility. Like as we've gotten started, like I feel like in a few short years, we've been able to learn a lot from you and from the way that CODA operates. Um, you know, I always like to tell our guests, you know, towards the end, just a, a simple affirmation. I think what I heard from you today is that relational leadership is the way to go about things, not a top-down hierarchy. Um, and that fundraising doesn't have to be old and bland. It can be creative. It doesn't need to be boring. It can be outside the box. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that, that I think will be left with me after our conversation today is the engagement of loved ones and volunteers and the collaboration that it takes. Because one of the things that we say at Pressing On all the time to the families that we serve is that you're not alone. And that means many different things. But I think in our society, we're tempted to go alone um, or that no one else has experienced the pain or trauma or the things that we feel in our lives. And so like your um, relational leadership and the collaboration and the collaborative ways that CODA works with volunteers, um, that's definitely something that's going to stick with me. So I just want to affirm um, who you are as a man and as a leader in the organization, the Children's Organ Transplant Association, um, from pressing on standpoint professionally, but also personally, we're very thankful for you guys. Well, that very kind of you. That means a lot to me. Thank you, Richie. In closing, what's the easiest way to follow you and CODA online and social media these days for our listeners? Uh, the best way to do that is to go to our website at CODA.org. That's C-O-T-A.org. And all of our uh, social media links are there. Uh, we do have Instagram. Uh, we have a uh, pretty significant uh, uh, video library on Vimeo, and we do a lot of work on LinkedIn. But if you go to code.org, that's a good jumping off point to go there. And we do have our partners highlighted there. So pressing on is, is one of those partners that we highlight on our website. And your, your listeners will be able to get some good information about other organizations there as well. Well, that's wonderful. We want to say thanks for joining us today, Rick, on the Pressing On podcast. We really appreciate your insight and advice. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Absolutely. And to our listeners, know that you're not alone and let us encourage you to keep pressing on. Have a great day.